Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Here we have the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. <coughs> Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. A book review um, in the paper recently. And it, the book, it was called, it's a very intriguing book, just Happiness. Happiness. And let me just uh, read part of the review to you. Uh, there is a shocking fact that we are no happier than we were 50 years ago. Despite unparalleled economic growth, this fact was revealed in two separate surveys in the United Kingdom and in the USA. Challenges our most basic assumptions about the goals of society and our personal lives. Just listen to this again. Um, in many ways, it is surprising. People certainly want to be richer, or conversely, people don't want to be poorer. And in any society, richer people are on average happier than poor people. So, here's the question. Why are richer societies not happier than poor societies. You might want to question that, but that's part of the research. And he comes up with the main answer, and it's this, that people are comparing their incomes with other people's income, people's lifestyle with others. They are quite simply just trying to keep up with the Joneses. But in a richer society, the Joneses are richer also. 
so that it means that people are trying to achieve the unachievable and in doing so, making themselves and others miserable. Then here he just goes on to say this in the light of the election that's taking place. Uh, he says, there is something wrong in much of the tough rhetoric, for example. Um, why should we be the most dynamic economy in the world? Why don't politicians... Am I doing all right here, Steve? Yeah? But what, why don't politicians ask this question? question? Surely we should rather aim to be the happiest society rather than the wealthiest if the both don't, uh, are not the same and have the same results. Is it not madness if despite all our wealth people feel increasing pressure and difficulty in simply managing their lives and sustaining their relationships. Well, it's an interesting book and there's lots of other things that come out of it. And it made me think about this encounter with the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus is speaking as I'm speaking and he's talking on serious issues. If you, if you look in Luke chapter 12, he says this. Um, I tell you my friends this is chapter 12 verse 4 this is what Jesus was saying when he was rudely interrupted I tell you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more but I will show you whom you should fear fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw into hell yes I tell you fear him and then the value system of G that Jesus speaks. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are of more worth than many sparrows. Someone in the crowd said, Jesus, give us the real, give us the real answer. Tell my brother to share money with me. To say that we're in a crass society is no different now as in the time of our Lord. It is basically to do with how we are, our nature. Somebody has said, uh, you've seen uh, the bumper sticker that says, the person with the most toys wins. That may well be the drive of Christmas, particularly among young people who perhaps haven't lived long enough. Hopefully as parents, we want them to think differently. Yes, the person with the most toys wins, but the question Jesus would, would ask is this, wins what? And in the light of eternity, <coughs> wins what? Exactly what? Because the person with the most toys, or the least, leaves this world exactly the same. We live in a very materialistic culture. And increasingly, insidiously, it is impacting our lives and the way we work and the way we think and the things that we do. So a sermon like this doesn't do any harm just for a moment to stand back on what is our average experience in, in our lives in terms of work and relationship and so forth. If we are aware 
of the materialistic culture in which we live increasingly, then it might come to us to realize how horrifying its impact is. It is endemic. But Jesus is not preaching now against wealth per se. Just let's get this one thing clear and then we'll get the whole thrust of the sermon. And you get this in um, verse 15. This is a key to it. So don't, because it's possible to misunderstand the parable. Then he said to them, the person who's asking, you know, I, I haven't had my share of the will and that sort of stuff, and that goes on all the time, doesn't it? Um, here he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now he's not talking about money, he's talking about the motivation, the desire for it. So even the person who has less might actually be greedier than the person who has more. I, I think it's important to say that. Watch out. Be on your guard against greed. Couldn't help but think about this. When you drive into many of the villages in this area here, you see the sign, don't you? And it says, kill your speed. It's an interesting uh, sign, isn't it? It's in your face. Kill your speed. 30 limit or whatever it is. Slow down. Slow down. This morning I would put the sign to you as you come to church. Kill your greed. Slow down. Stand back. Do a bit of healthy stock taking. Greed is endemic. Among us as Christians or other people, and it, it, here's the thing about it. The, the first casualty that it impacts is relationships. Because quite simply, whatever, you just don't have time. And then as a consequence of relationships, your priorities get a bit blurred. We could rationalize anything because that's our makeup. And then our attitudes become jaded. Greed impacts relationships. And if we don't have quality time, we don't have quality relationships. So this verse 13 is a very rude interruption. But it gives Jesus an opportunity to, to answer the question. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus isn't interested in getting embroiled in all of that, but to say there's a bigger issue here, and it's the issue of greed. Be on your guard. Greed kills. It kills relationships. It distorts priorities. And it makes our attitude negative. So, when we're not talking about money at this stage. We're talking about greed or the motivation for it. Okay? Last year, January the 4th, 2009, I began the sermon with this. And uh, I was looking at the notes and I thought, I'm going to say it again. It's, uh, it's a poem written by um, a very thoughtful um, but poignant person. He said this, Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Uh, it was written by an Australian in Sydney. Yet days go by and weeks rush on. 
I never see my friend's face now, for life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him, as well as in those days when I called on him. But now we are busy and tired men. Tired of playing a foolish game, tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I'll say, tomorrow I'll call on Jim to show that I still think of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes and the distance between us just grows and grows. Now, it may not be greed, but it is certain that the preoccupation with life and the casualty is relationships. I suppose the lesson from that for us on this new year, Sunday morning, is the same as last year, that life is short. Life is short and time is elusive. So then, in the context of this man, tell my brother to give me my share and so on, rightly or wrongly. If you have something to give, give it with grace this year give it with grace and if you have something unique to say then say it in love while you can and if you have something unique to do unique to you well then just do it do it whether people know or not whether there will be a positive response or not. I think that would be the obvious lesson that we could take from this parable. So let's just look at it very quickly as, uh, as we try to make the distinction between greed and uh, money. There's a name for this greedy man. It's the only time in the whole New Testament that Jesus used it. And it is a fool. The complete reversal of the successful person whom we see on the front page of, of, the, uh, of the newspapers and the magazines, from the perspective of eternity, here is a person who has lost out big, big time. He is not a role model. He's actually a fool. And it's the parable of a rich fool. It's almost an oxymoron. It's a contradiction, isn't it? Success, but a failure. Looked up to, but actually losing out. So let's be clear then. Being a successful farmer is not greed. If you look at verse 16, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. In fact, the Christian ethic would say that this should be encouraged. And Jesus told this parable, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Okay? So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. So we need to be quite clear that uh, being a successful business person is not greed. Secondly, being a strategic planner, being somebody who thinks ahead, is not greed. He's expanding and he's planning for growth. Thinking ahead, not simply reacting uh, with uncertainty to uh, prevailing circumstances. That is a good thing. And he is not condemned for that. So what's the real problem? The real problem is this. Banking his future, his life, his relationship, his value system 
on his possessions. You can't take them with you. We need to be told that, whether we have a lot or a little. Both, the principle is the same. We can't take it with you. And family quarrels, strained relationships, people who even over an open grave will not talk to each other purely on the basis of money. This man made two fatal mistakes. The first, he didn't understand himself. He could cultivate the soil which was fertile, but to neglect his soul, that is a fool. In the eyes of the world, it's different. In the eyes of the Lord, it's different. And if his only concern is material, at the cost of anything spiritual, if it's all about him and nobody else, if he's preoccupied with the temporal and not the eternal, and at death, it's too late to discover that the whole thrust of your life has been lived and it is utterly futile must be a terrible thing. We have bodies that we want to keep healthy. We have brains that we want to keep informed. We have a soul that needs a relationship to God. And we neglect it at our peril. That is the first thing. And the second thing is this. Not only he didn't understand himself, but he had no concern about others. It's very interesting in the original language, and Jesus is doing a powerful play on words here, that he is saying 12 times the words, I, me, my. I guarantee you that tomorrow you'll go and you'll rub shoulders with people that essentially their philosophy is that. I, me, my. And if it costs me my marriage, if it costs me my reputation, whatever, what's, what's of supreme importance in life is what I want, what I need, and what I must have. Not once in this brief parable does he look up to heaven and think about God, much less thank him. Not once. Wasn't on his radar. Wasn't on his horizon. Not once does he look around and think about other people in need? Not once. And it is, it is this challenge that Jesus gives, which is a very powerful, be careful, because this has got a subtle sting in the tail that you might think, this actually could apply to me as a Christian. All he can do is see himself, his future, his crops, his bank balance and his plans until death strips it away and leaves him nothing. Nothing. And Jesus looks around. I'm sure he would have looked at the disciples. Some of them who perhaps already had lost out and they'd moved on from their lucrative business in fishing and so on and so forth. And, and, and Matthew, have you ever met a poor tax collector? I mean, they were there. They knew about this. They were streetwise. And Jesus looks at them and this man and others, whoever's there, and with piercing eyes Jesus scans the crowd and, and, and he draws the curtain 
of this parable with a warning. It's a very powerful warning. Verse 21. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? It is the ultimate folly. So let's come with some practical applications from this. The first, we are here this morning and uh, I would say that we are blessed in varying degrees. When you are blessed with much, give much. Even Dickens, with the caricature of grubbing Ebenezer Scrooge, learnt that generosity, contrary to the whole of his life, put joy in his heart. Joy in his heart. When you are blessed with much, give generously. Time would be a good thing. We have precious little of it. Money, we've got that as well. Gifts, homes, the variety of what we have is ours to share with others. Secondly, when you plan for the future, and I hope that like this man, you plan, you think, you prepare, you are geared for growth in your life and family and so on. When you plan for the future, do one final thing. Think terminally. Think terminally. Ask yourself this question. What do I want to take with me when I die? What a strange, poignant gift the Magi brought to Jesus. What can we take to heaven? What can we take to heaven? Maybe the sweetness of relationships with people that we've hung in with and shared and prayed with them about the Lord Jesus. People whose lives that we have touched because we, we stood with them prayerfully and stayed with them through broken relationships. And thirdly, whether you have much this morning or whether you have little, hold it loosely. Because I suppose the whole issue is this. It's not so much how much possessions you have. It is this, how much of those possessions actually have you. That's the big thing, isn't it? Whether you have much or little, Don't put your hopes in barns filled with grain. Loosen your grip a little lighter. The rush of wind can blow it away like chaff and you are left with nothing. Instead, hold on tighter 
with firmer grip and stronger conviction to the Lord Jesus, who has said in return, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Those are the three things as we go into this new year. When you are blessed with much, give generously. When you plan for the future, think terminally. We are on pilgrimage. Whether you are much or little, hold it loosely. Those of us who remember the, the great missionary who worshipped with us for about 10 years, Fred and Ruth Webb, used to use a lovely illustration the way in Peru they used to catch uh, monkeys. They'd have a, 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 a bottle with a thin entrance and coloured sweets inside. He said it never failed. What they did was the monkey would come and being inquisitive, put its paw through, grab these coloured things as sweet, hold it, and it was stuck. He said all it had to do, all it had to do was let go and it was free. Free to run and free to do what, whatever monkeys do. Um, but it was stuck. It was stuck by its own grip. It is the folly of life, isn't it? Jesus says to us, be careful. Greed is insane. That's why it's foolish. It's the ultimate folly. The essence of life is not our possessions. It is insatiable because we never have enough. And Jesus drives home this warning. Here we are today in a very materialistic culture. We often reflect its values. We should be lights to point to a better way. Maybe people will see the authenticity of our faith that we are willing for the greater good to let things go. Might have been overlooked in, in a promotion. Maybe the pension isn't what it should be. All of that sort of stuff and more. But we have a greater goal, a greater vision, a greater destiny. And in Jesus Christ, that is ours. And no one can take it from us. No one.